Well, one of the reasons why we've done this live feed here in our building is to point to the fact that our goal eventually is to come back together, to worship together as a, as a body, and I'm so looking forward to that day. But again, one of the, the blessings of this whole COVID pandemic has really been we've been able to reach beyond our, our doors uh, with our live feed. And um, I noticed on there uh, our brothers from Kinshasa, Democratic Republic of, of Congo, Pastor Sam, Joe, and Israel were tuning in right now, and I hope you're still doing so. Brothers, we say hi to you from Rochester, and what a great thing to know that the living God is with us in spirit, and we're one together with him. So what an amazing thing uh, to be alive during this time, to know that the Lord is has made us one, is with us, and we're gathering together even virtually. So it's, it's amazing. Well, if you know me, Nathan Brand, uh, you know that I'm a, a person that likes history. I like to kind of see how things have rolled out and why one thing led to another. You know, when uh, England started colonizing the United States, what's now the eastern seaboard of the United States, it came with the intention or the expectation of finding gold, of finding silver, precious metals, because they had seen in the Spanish and the Portuguese find gold and silver in South America. So they came expecting to find that. So when they, they colonized the place, they were digging for gold. And if you're familiar with the Disney uh, princess show Pocahontas, you know that uh, Governor Ratcliffe sang a song called Mine. He said, Dig up Virginia, boys. Again, expecting to find gold. And uh, I don't use Disney as my reference for history, but I got three daughters, so that's my excuse, all right? So well, the point is this, is they had expectations to find gold and silver, and they couldn't find it. It wasn't available as they thought it was. But a greater gold mine was found, actually. In discovering that this new world was a great place for agriculture, a great place for raw materials. And so it actually became a bigger gold mine and also a new product called tobacco, which would become very popular in uh, Europe. So the 13 colonies at their peak, it became a, a place where products like tobacco, grain, rice, lumber, indigo, whale oil, and pelts of wild animals, and many other products, they lined the pockets of British investors. It also created revenue for the British government. And these new colonies, they imported all sorts of British goods, creating an expanded market for British merchants. So the result was actually much more lucrative than if they had just discovered a gold mine. It became a place that exceeded their expectations. Today we're going to be in Luke 19. So if you have your Bibles there, you might want to open them up to that right now. And we're going to see that as Jesus and his disciples near Jerusalem, 
some of his disciples have some expectations for what's next for Jesus, for what's next for the kingdom of God and and how that's going to be rolled out. And so Jesus is going to tell them this very sobering uh, parallel. (laughs) Hello. Proverb, or should I say parable, uh, where he shows them how the, the kingdom of God is actually going to unfold. And it informs us today, who are followers of Jesus, how we wait and how we are, should be acting, waiting for his return in his kingdom. And it's better than expected. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. So we're going to read this together first before we, we get, we, uh, now let's read it together and then we'll pray. Verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. The master answered, You. Take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Let's go ahead and, and pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes. So, Lord, this is a parable that is uh, challenging to us, but it's for our good because it comes from you, Lord Jesus. And we want to hear your life-giving words to us. So, would again, 
as we prayed many times, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see you plainly and that we may respond to you. And Lord, if we need to repent, give us grace to repent. And Lord, if we need to be more faithful, give us grace to do that. And if we just need to rejoice, then Lord, give us joy, great joy in you. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. So, the ending of this parable, maybe it's not the feel-good ending we would like, or even what we would expect to hear from Jesus, whom we often associate with just being loving. But he's come and he's full of grace and he's full of truth. And so Jesus tells this parable, and it's interestingly based on an event that happened during Jesus' lifetime. In 4 AD, Herod the Great had died. And his son Archelaus becomes the heir apparent. And you can read about Archelaus in Matthew 2, 22. But because of Herod the Great's abuse previous, there was a great protest. And Archelaus sends his army and he puts to death 3,000 people in the temple. And then Archelaus leaves Judea and he goes to Rome to go before, stand before Caesar Augustus to be crowned king. And the Jews send a delegation saying, we don't want this man to be king. But Caesar Augustus does make him king, or what is called an ethnarch. And he's put in charge of the regions of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea, which is modern-day Jordan. And now his new subjects had to live with this. Now, Jesus is not saying, I'm just like Archelaus. That's not what he's saying. But it is, the story is anchored in the realities of the kingdom of God and how it's going to play out. Because Jesus is the king. He is God in the flesh. Who is bringing the kingdom of God? And that kingdom is not necessarily one of brick and mortar. Not necessarily one of, of military might. But it's one that takes heart. It takes root in the hearts of of men and women, to those who surrender to him, who starts changing their hearts, and he brings this kingdom to the least likely. Last week, in chapter 19, we met a man named Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, who was hated, who was the person who was thought to be the least likely person to receive salvation, least likely to have the kingdom of God come and take root in his heart. But this is Jesus' mission, to bring this kingdom, a kingdom of salvation. And so he says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, speaking about Zacchaeus, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now that word salvation, what it meant to Jesus, was that Zacchaeus, or anyone who put their faith in him, would be made right or righteous or have right standing before a holy God. But to the, the Jews in that first century, salvation not only meant right standing with God, but that God was going to come and roll out his kingdom and his oppressed people, the Jewish people, were going to kick out the Romans and God was going to set up his new kingdom, his new government in Jerusalem. And by the way, Jesus, that's, that's where we're going, right? 
were going to Jerusalem. And so his disciples are making some assumptions. The kingdom of God, it's going to happen. It's going to roll out. It's going to be fully manifest any time now. They were putting two and two together and coming up with seven. It was so near. It was so clear they could taste it. But Jesus' kingdom, again, is not one of conquest. Again, if you've been with us in these last few weeks, remember that Jesus has told his disciples in chapter 18, verses 32 and 33, look guys, we're going up to Jerusalem. And me, the Son of Man, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be insulted, I'm going to be flogged, and I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. This is how he's ultimately going to bring the kingdom of heaven. How ultimately he's going to pay salvation's price and make a way for the kingdom. But the commentary after that is they didn't get it. It was hidden from them and he did, they didn't know what he was talking about. So he tells this parable to show, look, the kingdom of God is different than what you think and it's different from your timing. And even more so, that the kingdom of God and enjoying it depends on one's response to the king. So, in this parable we see a sovereign or a king. We see subjects or citizens and we see servants. The sovereign, the king. Verse 12, we meet a man, a man of noble birth sent to a distant country, who went to a distant country to have himself appointed king. Jesus was a man of noble birth. Not only physically was he in the line of King David, but he, ultimately he was physically the son of God. You see, he, has bringing, he is bringing a kingdom and he lays rightful claim to that throne. Number two, we've got subjects or citizens. Again, this kingdom is not a physical location. It's not just Judea or Israel. It's the hearts of all men and women. And as Jesus is God in the flesh, the creator of all, again, he should be rightfully king over all men and women and reign and rule in their hearts. And we'll talk about their response a little bit later. But the main body of this parable is about ten servants. A master, this king who's ready to leave, and he gives his servants each a mina. Now, mina is the equivalent of a hundred days wages. Okay? And he gives them this instruction. Verse 13. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Put this money to work. Literally, do business. Invest it. Use it industriously for my kingdom. Be profitable. Bring gain. And don't let it sit idle. Put it to work until I come. Don't let it sit idle. And I really mina this. Okay? Thank you. I'll be here all week. And then he leaves the servants. He leaves the servants. These servants, it's pretty obvious, they're Jesus' followers to whom he has entrusted gifts abilities, resources. We know within the, the, the rest of the story, Jesus 
He will go to Jerusalem. He will suffer and die. He will rise from the dead. He will show himself to his disciples. And then he will return to the Father to wait until the kingdom is fully conferred upon him. He goes to a distant country, if you will. But one day he will return. We don't know that day, but we know he will return. And he's going to ask his servants, his followers, his believers, what they did with what he gave them. And it's interesting, there are ten servants that are given Amina, but there's a sample size that Jesus reports in this this parable. Three. So let's pick it up at verse 15. That he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had, had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. So the application is pretty clear. When we take what Jesus, our master, our king, has invested in us, and that's not just money, it's gifts, it's abilities, it's resources, it's the whole tamale, all of us, and it brings gain for him and his kingdom, he gives us a greater stake, greater ownership in his kingdom. And it's not just greater responsibility. It's greater reward and greater joy. In fact, to reign and rule with them. You've been trustworthy with these minas? Take charge of ten cities. This is what he tells them. We who know him, he's entrusted us to further his kingdom, to be his witnesses, to make disciples of him, to use all that we have And all that we are to build his kingdom and to give him glory. And it's going to manifest itself in many different ways. Maybe just giving a child a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. It may be listening to verses for an Awana child. It might be loving your neighbor and scooping snow if it comes this weekend. It might be telling others about him. It might be a service project in our community in Jesus' name and saying this is how Jesus serves the community. It might be just living a life of integrity, of living what you believe. Yes, it might be giving your finances, but it's mostly giving your gifts and your talents to call attention to him, to make him look good. But he's invested in us, and he's calling us to use them to further his kingdom. Unfortunately, there are some who don't and some who won't. Pick it up at verse 20. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. Not good words to hear. 
You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you, didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he, is already, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Notice that the Lord doesn't try and argue with him that he's a hard man. That he tries to take up what he didn't put down or he didn't that he tries to reap where he, you know, he didn't sow. And that's not necessarily accurate. But that's the reality that the servant is operating in. But his accusations, the servant's accusations of the master, really reveal more about the heart of the servant than that of the master. What was the original command? It was, put this money to work. It's pretty clear. Put this money to work. And he does nothing. He does nothing. And so the master applies to him the assumptions, right? I'm going to judge you by your own words. So you knew that I was a hard guy? You knew that I was a guy who, who expects profit from you know, getting something where I didn't invest at all? Where I didn't where I reap, where I didn't sow. Okay, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? Why didn't you at least make the minimal investment? You see, you didn't even act on what you claim to be true about me. You did nothing. You sat on it in self-protection or laziness or whatever else was going on. And we who follow Jesus... Here's the question for us out of this parable. What assumptions are we operating on about our Lord or about life that keep us investing in his kingdom? Is it, I'll fail. I'm certain to fail. Or maybe it's, you know, well, I just, I can't do it good enough. I couldn't, whatever I'd have to offer wouldn't be good enough. Or I don't do it as well as he does or she does. I'm not as gifted. Or maybe it's just too hard. Maybe it's, ah, I've got time. I'll do it later. Or maybe even the thought that I don't have anything to offer. All these are lies, folks. Whether from the devil or from our flesh, their lives. Yeah, you might fail, but you should learn something along the way. And by the way, his gifts are inexhaustible. So it's not as though they go away. Maybe you won't do it as well as you think you ought to, but you can learn and grow along the way and be better. You know, I'm nobody's Chuck Swindoll or whoever you think is the best preacher in the world. doesn't matter. But I'm going to tell you, I'm a much better preacher today than when I first started. We can get better. And also, we need to not get caught up in comparison. 
Like, I, I'm not as good as that person, or I don't have to, I don't, I can't do that. You know, the truth of the matter is God has, has gifted us all individually and uniquely for the mission he has given us, for the investment that he wants us to make. I don't know about you, but I've been watching a, a series called The Chosen. And if you haven't seen it, you can find it on YouTube. It's an eight-series thing, and it's about the life of Jesus, really through the eyes of his disciples. And you've got Matthew, who's a tax collector, who's really kind of quirky, kind of socially awkward. And he looks at Peter, who's charming, charismatic, and people want to listen to him. And he thinks, Matthew thinks that he has nothing to offer. But Jesus calls Matthew because he has a purpose and a plan and a use for him that's only unique to him. And if we look at at least what's in the the Bible, it's Matthew who writes the gospel of Matthew, which tells us so much about Jesus. And he recounts these things so that we can see that what was told in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus' coming. Peter was instrumental too, but his, he only has a couple books to his name. So actually there are three. But the point is this, actually two. That's <laughs> John that has three. My point is this, is that uniquely, uniquely God has given us gifts that are u- unique to us in our call. And again, sometimes we go, well, this is, this is hard work. Yeah, it is. But here's the secret about serving Jesus and the gifts that he's given to us. Is that when you're in Christ, you know what? He comes inside to dwell in you and with you and to work in you and through you what he wants to. We can't do it ourselves. We can't. But Jesus talked about this reality in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But then he goes on to say, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. See, what Jesus wants to do is live his life through us and in us. He has given us these gifts, these abilities. He wants us to use them until he comes back. And by the way, this is not the first time that Jesus has called his servants to be ready and to be faithful. He talks about this in Luke chapter 12. He says that many times to his servants... And so we ought to pay attention. We ought to pay attention. We are his servants. What are we doing with the investments he's entrusted us with? Are we employing them for his kingdom? Are we ignoring them and setting them aside out of fear or excuses? Are we using them for our own kingdom purposes? We're trying to build our own kingdom. He's saying no. Use them for building my kingdom and enter into my joy. We have to give account. We need to take this seriously. But it's for our good. So now, we're back to these subjects or these citizens who this king is going to rule over. And they send a delegation saying, we don't want this man to be our king, in verse 14. But in verse 15 it says, and he was made king, however, and returned home. Now, historically we could apply this to the Jewish leadership. They did reject Jesus as king, so to speak. 
the truth of the matter is this is really more an illustration of all of us, you and me, all of mankind. And in our natural state, we don't want God or Christ to rule over us. We would rather do our own thing. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 says this. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. You see, many of us don't want to acknowledge that Jesus actually might have a claim on our lives. To bring our lives into the light and to come to terms with the fact that we are a sinner. We can't live the perfect life that we need to to be acceptable to God. We fall short. The comparison is not the guy next door, your pastor, your neighbor, your family, it's, it's God himself. And to admit that we, we need him. We need him as our savior to save us. And we need to surrender to him. You know, this natural resistance has been true since the garden, since Adam and Eve, our first parents, they chose to rebel against God, to do their own thing because they wanted to see that they could be like God be their own gods, to call the shots. And unfortunately, they didn't believe God, and it brought death. It brought all the brokenness that we see in our world today. And the thing that we're blinded to is that Jesus the King, He comes to give life. He's not here just to be a despotic dictator. He comes to give us life. For those who will believe in him, those who will follow him, those who will surrender to him. Jesus will say this in the Gospel of John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is what this king has come for. What we naturally want to resist him. The second reality, though, is this, is that he will rule and reign over us whether we like it or not. He is God. He is our creator. He is the almighty and powerful. In verse 15 it says, he was made king, however. Remember the people say, we don't want him to be king. He was made king, however, and returned to the country. You see, the kingdom of God, folks, is not a democracy. We don't get to choose who gets to be king. And Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he's the rightful king. He deserves it. And each one of us are going to have to appear before him and how we responded to him. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things we have done in the body, whether good or bad. This is what Jesus is trying to convey in this parable for those who have yet to submit to his 
to his authority. Whether it's the original hearers or us today. How that review, how that judgment before God's his, his judgment seat goes as well as, as well as we're related to the sovereign. As well as we're related to the king who brings the kingdom of God. And for those who continue to rebel, who continue to shake their fist, to continue to say, not your will, but mine, this is what happens. It doesn't go so well. Verse 27. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. (laughs) Now to our modern sensibilities, you go, what? This just seems brutal. But Jesus, again, is seeking to illustrate the truth of his coming judgment when he returns. And he's being sober and serious and helping us to realize that this will soon be irreversible. He's the king. We need to submit to him and his life. We need to surrender to the king. But here's the truth right now, today. He has not yet returned. There's still hope. There's still a chance to surrender to him. A chance to put your faith in him. A chance to become his servant. A chance to become his child. And experience all the life that he has for you. You know, again, remember, he has said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. We can have his life. Or we can continue to rebel. We can continue to shake our fist. We can continue to even blame God. Say, God, if you were a good God, it wouldn't be like this. And it's your fault. And it's not really being just that at the end of all time I'll be judged for not surrendering to you. But here's the problem with that. He's the source of all justice and righteousness. Not you. Not me. And that judgment that you experience for not surrendering will be more an issue of your own stubborn rebellion than of his inequity to us. Theologian Leon Morris has said this, God has no need of marionettes. He doesn't want to make us puppets, folks. And he pays men the compliment of allowing them to live without them, without him, if they choose. We can live without him if we choose. But if they live without him in this life, they must also live without him in the next. And that is a pretty pretty brutal existence, folks. It's not one that's good. The message is clear. Jesus Christ is the sovereign. He's God's son. And he will return to earth one day. And we who are servants, well, he's encouraging us through his word to take what he's invested 
in us and to use it for his kingdom. To try and further it. And in doing so, we enter into his joy. Because that's where life is. And there's reward there. Don't allow yourself to listen to the lies or the excuses that the enemy wants to whisper into our hearts and our minds. Jesus, the living Christ, wants to use you, and he will, to further his kingdom. And it will be a joyous thing for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, if you've not yet turned to him, this is a call to repent, to turn away from yourself and doing your own thing and to turn to him and surrender your life to him. To allow him to come into you and change you. To, by faith, accept what he's done in going to the cross to pay for your sin that you couldn't pay for and in rising from the dead to conquer death, to give you life that you don't have in yourself. That's what he's offering. That's what he wants for you, to surrender to this sovereign, to this king, that he might give you life. I'm going to end with this verse from the end of John's epistle, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has this King, has this Sovereign. They have life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If that's you, I pray today you will turn towards Him and receive His life. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to ask the worship team to come and close us in worship today. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for this sobering parable, Lord. (laughs) Lord, I pray that you take my stumbling and stammering words today and still use them to speak to hearts. Lord, it's the reality that you are going to come And you're going to return. You're going to ask us what we did with you. And for those of us who know you, Lord, we want to have invested well what you've given to us for your kingdom and for our joy, Lord. We want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But we want to enter into the life-giving process of seeing your kingdom advance in the lives and hearts of men and women. So make us faithful, Lord. Help us not to believe the lies that the enemy tries to whisper in our ears. And if you're someone who's yet to put your faith in Jesus, here's the promise of Scripture. To as many as received him, even those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And if that's you today, 
And I ask you to just pray along with me. My words aren't magical, but they're an expression of a sincere heart. Lord Jesus, you are the King. You're the Son of God. God who put on flesh. And Lord Jesus, I believe in you that you lived a life I couldn't live. In perfect obedience to your Father. You died a death to pay a penalty that I couldn't pay. And you've risen from the dead to conquer a foe I couldn't conquer. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Come, I repent of my will leading the way. I repent of me being in charge. Come and take residence in my heart. Be the king there. That I might be changed. That I might become your child. That I might become your servant. And experience all the life you have for me. Lord Jesus, you are the one who came to seek and save the lost. So I pray you'll bring lost ones to yourself today. So again, Lord, we thank you for this sober parable. Help us to respond in spirit and in truth today. Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. Amen and amen.